This is Deep Dive. I'm Fei Fei. The spotlight is in San Francisco this week as the annual meetings of the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum take center stage in the city. And all eyes are on a summit that brought together Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden. At the invitation of President Joe Biden, President Xi Jinping traveled to San Francisco for a China-U.S. summit meeting and the APEC economic leaders. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi briefed the press after the summit, describing the first face-to-face meeting between the two leaders in a year as strategic and historic. Just now, the two presidents had a very good, comprehensive, and in-depth meeting at the Falali Estate. It's Xi Jinping's first trip to the country in six years as the Chinese president. Against the backdrop of strained China-U.S. relations over the years, with their apparent rise in rivalry, President Xi called for managing differences and advancing dialogues. I'm still of the view that major country competition is not the prevailing trend of current times and cannot solve the problems facing China and the United States or the world at large. For more on the summit and its significance within the APEC Forum, I spoke with CGT in America journalist Mark New, who is in San Francisco reporting on the event. This episode is brought to you on Friday, November the 17th, Beijing time. So what's on Xi Jinping's schedule in San Francisco this time? You know, he arrived on Tuesday afternoon, November 14th, and he kind of came down the steps on the plane. And uh, when he reached the ground, it was interesting that he was greeted by California Governor Gavin Newsom, as well as some other dignitaries, including uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Now, it's interesting because Gavin Newsom actually just traveled to China in late October, where he met with various Chinese officials, but he also ended up having a surprise meeting with President Xi Jinping. So it was really nice and somewhat symbolic for Newsom to be the one extending his hand as she touched down in San Francisco. And so the next morning, you know, it was when the big day began. President Xi coming from downtown San Francisco, heading about uh, 35 to 40 kilometers and traveling to Woodside, California, where I actually saw part of the motorcade go by and head on to uh, Filoli Estate. And it's just a beautiful historic California landmark that even a lot of locals don't really know a lot about. I have had the fortune of visiting it before. And it's so off the beaten path and out in a woodsy area that some a lot of local people haven't even heard of that. But uh, it's just uh, an estate that is like 265 hectares of land, uh, 65 hectares of gardens and 56 rooms. It's so majestic that it was even used in the 80s American TV series Dynasty, which starred Linda Evans and Joan Collins. You know, so I bring this up you know, to give you an idea of the Hollywood quality picturesque scene that served as the backdrop for one of the most important political meetings in recent times. So when President Xi arrived at Filoli, he was he sort of walked down a red carpet in the front and he was greeted by President Biden at the door. Uh, the two sat down at the long conference table with their delegations facing each other. And that's the first time, you know, that happened in nearly a year, you know, since they actually met each other. 
And definitely the U.S. I think put a lot of thoughts in picking that garden as the place to host the Chinese president. And what did、uh, Xi Jinping talk with Joe Biden? You know, they had those opening remarks, and it contains perhaps the most memorable line was that "This earth, planet Earth, is big enough for the two countries to succeed." And one country's success is an opportunity for the other. It is an objective fact that China and the United States are different in history, culture, social system, and development path. However, as long as we respect each other, coexist in peace, and pursue win-win cooperation, we'll be fully capable of rising above differences and find the right way for the two major countries to get along with each other. Now that certainly strikes a tone, conveying a sense of partnership as opposed to rivalry. President Xi Jinping also said that、uh, the China-U.S. relationship has never been smooth sailing over the past fifty years. China-U.S. relationship has never been smooth sailing over the past fifty years and more, and it always faces problems of one kind or another. Yet it has kept moving forward amid twists and turns. For two large countries like China and the United States, turning their back on each other is not an option. It is unrealistic for one side to remodel the other, and a conflict and confrontation has unbearable consequences for both sides.、Um, he also expressed his firm belief in what he called a promising future of the bilateral relationship, and you know, that discussion lasted for at least three hours. And you know, after that. President Biden, you know, through a press conference, said he believed they were some of the most productive and constructive discussions they've ever had. As you know, I just concluded several hours of meetings with President Xi, and I believe they were some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. Our meetings have always been candid and straightforward. We haven't always agreed, but they've been straightforward. And today, build on the groundwork we laid over the past several months of high-level diplomacy between our teams. We've made some important progress, I believe. And he said they needed to ensure that、uh, the competition didn't veer into conflict. I think that President Xi does tend to make it more:、um, we don't have to have this cutthroat competition and squeeze one another out. Biden tends to、uh, mention the competition, but that it doesn't get out of control. So I feel like <laughs> there's pretty close on that, but a little different views on that. And, and Biden always talks about managing the relationship. Biden did break some news, and which was later confirmed also by saying that the two governments had agreed to resume high-level military-to-military communication. And he touched on another area where the two sides found common ground: artificial intelligence,、um, saying that、um, he and she affirmed the need to address the risk of advanced AI systems and in, improve the technology's safety through joint government talks. So,、uh, a lot going on there in these talks, and some real actual developments out of that. And I'm just really curious here. There are like a million topics that the two leaders could have discussed. And why would artificial intelligence this time became one of the more important ones that they decide to communicate face to face about? Well, I mean, these both sides have actually approached it from their own point of view and very seriously as of late because there's been so much talk about it. Especially, you know, I cover Silicon Valley. And every day, it seemed like every every few days, I was covering a press conference where there was some major announcement in artificial intelligence. And each time, 
at the beginning of this year, and it's only been about a year since OpenAI, uh, the company that produced ChatGPT, Generative AI ChatGPT, that really freaked us out because, wow, it can do that. And then uh, Microsoft used its tools that oh, press one button, you can arrange all your itinerary, it'll do it for you. You know, you're, you're, you've got an artist at your fingertips. These kind of tools just kept coming out and coming out. And you're looking at copyright issues. Um, you're looking at jobs, especially taking jobs from people. Uh, we as journalists, you can see you can write papers that quickly. And then there were concerns immediately that um, arose about this information isn't always right. I covered stories where the first case in the U.S. where they brought legal briefs into the room and the judge actually researched those that legal document that the lawyers brought in and found out that it had made up a bunch of quotes and false citations. And that came from the generative AI program and something called hallucinations. You know, the programmers had no idea why these tools sometimes just make things up. So that translate that into tools that take over weapons or control weapons and things like that. And you can easily see things getting out of control. So both countries you know, have taken steps to be measured on how that's done. Uh, for example, the Biden administration just at the end of October, he actually signed an executive order on AI to encourage industry to do tests in the highest levels of tests that they have to report it to the government. It, it's not law, but it's sort of like law needs to put teeth into it, but it's this order that goes out to companies and companies have sort of participated in that. Uh, many, many um, um, bullet points on, you know, watermarking um AI-generated material so that you know it comes from AI. So all these things the U.S. has started on. But China actually started their regulations earlier, and they were, I think, the first to put out regulations on AI where they had an order that's uh, on generative AI. So both of them have been very forward-thinking in this. But you can't also do it alone in your own country because what's the point of you putting all these regulations on AI and then some other country doesn't listen to those regulations, then those tools are still going to reach you. Weapon systems can go internationally. So it's really, I think, important to both sides that, hey, we're the biggest two countries, the superpowers in the world. We need to get start, you know, at least get the ball rolling on this. Yeah, exactly. And especially when it comes to AI, I think both China and US are sort of in the leadership role in that industry. And it's definitely important for them to find ways at least to cooperate and another point that you mentioned is about both Xi Jinping and Joe Biden talked about avoiding confrontation to have more communication between the two sides. And they also talked about uh, the Bali meeting. And what exactly happened in Bali and why is that meeting so important that they decided to bring it up this time? The G20 summit in Bali that, you know, this was the really the first time the two had gotten together in so long, it's safe to say that it began you know, laying the initial groundwork that resulted in their historic meeting on U.S. soil, you know, during this week. And, you know, during those discussions in Bali, you know, she said the successes of China and the U.S. are opportunities, not challenges for each other. As leaders of two major countries, we need to chart the right course for the China-U.S. relationship. We need to find the right direction for the bilateral relationship going forward and elevate the relationship. I think that really laid the 
groundwork in you know he expounded on the idea of competition saying there's always competition in the world but competition should be about learning from each other to become one's better self and make progress together and not about taking others down in a zero-sum game and out of bali president biden came out you know the meeting you know underscoring you know how they need to work on climate change global macronomic stability debt relief health security and global food security because that's what the world expects. Those are, you know, sort of high-level concepts and issues that they discuss. But from that meeting in Bali, the ball got rolling on U.S. officials visiting China. And during that meeting, the two leaders agreed that Secretary of State uh, Blinken would visit China to follow up on the discussion. So it really did pave the way for that string of negotiations that led up to their, their meeting in APEC. Before Xi Jinping's trip actually happened, and there have been a lot of speculations internationally about, you know, was he going to San Francisco or was he not? Who was he going to meet there? And apparently there have been a lot of steps paving the ways for the summit between the Chinese president and the U.S. president. And what exactly are the steps after Bali that's been taken by both sides so that to make this summit today in San Francisco, you know, really happening? So that meeting or that visit by Secretary of State Antony Blinken that was talked about in Bali did actually happen where he visited Beijing in June and he ended up meeting with President Xi. And October 27th. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to China is the first. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry has arrived in There's Beijing. There's a pretty packed schedule for Gina Raimondo during her Foreign Minister Wang Yi and U.S. President Joe Biden have called for communication channels to be kept open after their meeting at the White House. Uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi visited the White House where he met with President Biden. Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, also visited China in the days just leading up to APEC or Thursday, Friday, that she met with um, Vice Premier Khalifa. And he also invited her to come to China again. And she said, I look forward to going there next year. So all of these things really, really played into this. Keep the ball rolling on exchanges and dialogue between each other. In fact, looking back throughout this year, a number of U.S. business people have actually traveled to China themselves, uh, like Tim Cook, Bill Gates, or Elon Musk, just to name a few. So is the business community passionate about Xi's visit this time to the U.S.? I believe so. And uh, you, you point out some people that uh, show that enthusiasm. Um, our cameras did capture uh, Tim Cook. You know, heading to that dinner where Elon Musk definitely um, has shown enthusiasm. And I believe he's been participating in this event in some capacity. Whenever he goes to China, I know I've seen reports that uh, he's a little bit like a rock star there, too. He continues to build business in China. And obviously, you know, he does whatever he, he wants. Uh, he's, he, he's that way. But I find it interesting that you know, he continues to build in China and be a good open factories there and, and production there. And he seems to realize that he needs China to, you know, satisfy investors and grow his company. And with Tim Cook, uh, he was 
made that recent trip to China, and it was kind of a surprise visit. And he visited some, I believe, some gaming event out of the blue, and people were excited to see him. Being asked about uh, China's labor there, that it's he's not saying it's, this is not just cheap labor. You know, the perception that everything is cheap there, that's why they're there. But they, actually, because it's they do a good job there. Their supply chain is incredible. So it's actually good work that we have to get done here. So he's driving home a point that perceptions have changed as to why they need to do business. A lot of companies are ready to get back in there and, uh, you know, take advantage of the supply chain, which has been cut off for a while because of these things. So hopefully, you know, we'll see whether these, some of these restrictions start to lighten um, out of these meetings in the coming months or years. I think it extends beyond that. I, I mean, you look at, um, say, for example, artificial intelligence. I mean, I think we can't underestimate the sophistication in the technology markets. Everybody that goes over to China immediately says, oh, my gosh, I got to use my phone. They use their phone for everything. I can't believe it. It's, it's much more advanced in many ways than it is over here. And so I think, say, for example, um, Elon Musk's Ventures in the U.S., his whole idea is to build Twitter into a super app, and that's kind of like what WeChat already does, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea, I guess it goes back to, you know, China is a copy economy. They copy everything in the U.S. Well, there's a lot of things that the U.S. can try to copy of China to make their apps better. Mark Zuckerberg has tried to do that with Facebook unsuccessfully, but... So there is knowledge there to be gained by being in this market. Why not be part of that uh, fast-moving company and culture that can help your business grow faster? Hmm. This Thursday, actually, the APEC CEO Summit is underway. And is there anything happening over there that we can keep an eye on? Well, that's where um, the CEO Summit. I mean, it should be wrapping up, I believe, today or tomorrow that uh, President Xi you know, actually at least issued a statement there talking about how China's economy is steadily recovering and that China has become a synonym of the best investment destination and the next China is still China. He said, we invite friends from business communities around the world to invest and deepen your footprint in China. So at that particular event, she is pretty much issuing a statement that our doors are open to play a role. And he mentioned the um, sixth China International Import Expo was recently held and the second global digital trade expo will be held later this month. And all these steps to expand China's opening up and create more development opportunities. So certainly an invitation in front of those big CEOs to come invest in China. And that statement is not only directing to the American business community, but also to basically all business leaders around the 21 economies in the Asia-Pacific region. At the same time, the Xi and Biden meeting happened also on the occasion of the, the APEC forum. And what do you think a better or friendlier, at least, China-U.S. ties mean for the APEC in general? I talk with some journalists from different countries around the world. I think I talked to journalists from Spain and Papua New Guinea, and they too agree that, yeah, you know, probably one of the biggest things is to watch the Xi-Biden bilateral. And it, it does mean so much to their countries because the two biggest countries are not getting along with each other. It's not good for them. So they flat out said that they're watching it and hoping that things go well, that helps filter on down 
uh, to the rest of the economies. And it's not just the U.S. I mean, she has used the opportunity. I know today he had he met with leaders from Fiji, Peru, and Mexico. I think the biggest cooperation in all the various meetings has been sustainability and equality, uh, including all different countries. I know there were particular events, even say, for example, on indigenous people, sort of representation that everyone should you know, have a voice at the table. So that has been a big theme. China, I think they issued uh, a statement that, uh, you know, said our, our policy of providing equal and quality services to foreign investors will not change. So this idea of equality and uh, we will continue to improve the mechanisms for protecting the rights and interests of foreign investors, further shorten the negative list on foreign investment to fully ensure national treatment for investors. This idea of being an open invitation and also equal representation is really one of the biggest themes that I've seen at different meetings throughout. APEC has uh, contributed to, in the past, the reduction of tariffs and other barriers to trade in the region leading to the expansion of economic growth and international trade. So there is this hope. I think it's necessary because where can you get all these countries together? It's proof what has happened during this. You know, in the long run, whether it pays off, you know, we'll just have to see. The Chinese president's agenda in San Francisco extended beyond the summit with its U.S. counterpart, featuring meetings and engagements with business leaders and other guests. During a welcoming dinner, President Xi underscored the pivotal role of the two peoples in fostering China-U.S. relations. On a more practical note, he announced that China would invite American students to the country, streamline visa applications procedures, increase flights, and explore new avenues for Panda cooperation with the U.S. On Thursday, President Xi also held bilateral meetings with several leaders attending the APEC meetings, including Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. If you like what you just heard, don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform. Just search for Deep Dive. You can also leave comments to tell us what you want to know about China and beyond. This episode is brought to you by me, Fei Fei, and my colleagues Li Yunqi, Zhang Zhang, and Qi Zhi. Special thanks to CGT in America journalist Mark New. I'll see you in the next one.